Well, good morning. Welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you're here this morning. If you are coming to uh, Pizza with the Pastor today and you need directions, uh, you can get those at the Connections table. Um, some of you might be like, who's Jennifer and what's going on? But uh, you can get those over there. Well, we are concluding today our series, Just Walk Across the Room. And uh, as we do this, um, I want to give just a short recap on what we talked about uh, the first few weeks. In the first week, we talked about leaving your comfort zone and walking across rooms to enter into the zone of the unknown or reaching out to someone that you may not know. In the second week, we talked about uh, the importance of developing friendships and discovering other people's stories. And last week, we talked about uh, knowing and telling the story of God as well as knowing and telling your own story. And today, what I want to talk about is grander vision living. Grander vision living. This is the type of living in which your life becomes filled with purpose and meaning and joy, and you have a lot of fun along the way. Now, when you walked in this morning, each of you received some 3D glasses. If you could pull those out for a second. Okay. Now, we all know that it's much cooler and it's much more fun to watch a movie in 3D than anything else. Okay. And what we're going to do, some of you have already started, uh, <clears throat> but what we're going to do is we're going to look at something in 2D and then we're going to look at it in 3D, okay? Now, some of you have already got a head start on me, but uh, 3D viewing, you can see every angle and the view is just much grander. And so let's take a look at a few of these. Uh, if you look, we'll do this together, even some of you have already done it. Without the glasses, okay, let's look. Now put your glasses on, and now look. And if you look long enough, it almost looks like the flowers are kind of jumping out at you. Okay, take your glasses off. Don't be tempted to continue to look until we get ready. Okay, let's look at this next one without your 3D glasses, okay? Now everybody put your glasses on. That's a picture of the Grand Canyon, if you're not sure. And it looks much more grand and cool than it did in 2D. All right, let's look at uh, one more of these without your glasses. <laughs> okay, there's 2D. Now uh, put your glasses on. It always looks better when Pastor Isaac's getting hit, so uh, we're grateful for that. And let's finally look at one more, okay? Here we go. There's 2D. Now put your glasses on. And you can see it almost looks like you're underwater and you are there seeing this tropical fish. Now back in August, my wife Jennifer and I went on vacation to the Virgin Islands. And uh, while we were there, um, we had a, a great time, but we went to a place uh, called Trunk Bay, which is one of the seven greatest beaches in the world. Uh, according to some people. You know, it, they always pick seven and whatever seven they think, that's what it is. But anyways, they, they think this is one of the best, seven. And uh, we decided that when we went, we wanted to go snorkeling. And so here's a picture of me in my snorkeling gear. Okay? 
Now, there's no 3D look, so don't try it, all right? But uh, that doesn't look very attractive, bunch in, you know, snorkel gear. But here's a picture of Trunk Bay that is much more beautiful and uh, much more attractive. And this picture here doesn't even give justice to what uh, Trunk Bay really looks like. And I thought this week that since uh, some people, you know, are on spring break with their kids down in Florida and they're not here with us, that we would have our own kind of experience. So I'm going to share this story about being in Trunk Bay. Now, when Jennifer and I got there, uh, we found out that they have one of the world's best snorkeling kind of uh, tours that you can do. And so we get there, we get our snorkel gear on, and we go out into the water, and we're just kind of floating on top. And, I mean, I'd never seen this before because it's in a bay, there was no waves. It was just quiet and still and serene. There were only about uh, 10 people on this entire beach. It was early in the morning, and it was just beautiful. But, you know, the whole point of snorkeling is to do what? To get your head in the water so that you can see all the activity that is going on underneath. And so we got our gear on. And we put our heads into the water, and we were just amazed at all the fish that were coming up. And you'll see some pictures here. And there's coral reefs, and there's water, and you can see the bottom of the ocean floor. And as long as we had our head below the surface, we could see all of this activity and movement and life, and life was full. And as we're doing this, I'm following Jen, and, you know, I get a little water in my mouth, and so I have to come back up and blow it out. And when I do, I look around, and here I am at one of the seven best beaches, but it's just quiet and still and boring and kind of dull. Because what was above the surface wasn't as great as what was underneath the surface. And folks... There is much more to life than what just appears on the surface. And if you don't kind of get underneath, away from 2D, but you get into 3D type of living, you never fully understand the grander living vision that God has for your life. And that's what we want to talk about today. A grander vision type of living. Now, the best example of this kind of grander vision living that we can uh, look at is uh, found in Luke, which is in the second half of the Bible, in a book there. And uh, Jesus tells a story, or stories told about Jesus, of him calling his first disciples, which is really cool. So let's go ahead and let's read this story. The story goes like this. Once, when Jesus was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to pull to put out a little far from the shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, He taught the crowd. 
When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and we haven't even caught a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no uh, sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in the catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, There is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them nets and all, and followed Jesus. Now, I've been fishing a few times, but I've never had this experience. And can you imagine how elated and excited Peter and James and John must have been when all of a sudden their boats and their nets and everything is filled with fish? It's a monstrous kind of catch of fish. They'd never seen a catch like this in their life. These were veteran fishermen. They did this their whole life, but they had never experienced a catch like this. The nets were bursting, the boats were sinking, and it was full of fish. And I have a feeling that Jesus is watching this, and they're all kind of scramming around trying to, you know, get the fish all in the boat and to keep them there and in the nets. And Jesus is sitting and he's laughing at this. I mean, they're going nuts trying to figure out what they're going to do with all of these fish. And Jesus is just kind of laughing. And he says, hey guys, take a break for a second. You think that's something? You think that's really great to be able to catch some scaly, smelly, underwater creatures? You think that's fun? Well, let me tell you about a grander type of thinking. You want to talk about multiplying the fun factor? Like a thousand times? Let's not talk about catching fish then. I know you're trying to earn a living. There's nothing wrong with doing that, of catching fish. And it's good to go to the market and get some dollars. But what about rather than, you know, gaining some dollars, you were actually able to land some destinies? Because that's where the action is. And, you know, I, I have a feeling that Peter and James and John finally just kind of let the nets go and they're looking at Jesus and they're like, tell us more. And he said, you guys have been great fishermen so far in your life, but what I'm inviting you to do starting right now is to spend the rest of your life being fishers of men and women. Instead of spending all of your time and your energy in catching six-inch 
kind of fish. Let's go out for the six-footers, the human-sized ones. I'm asking you to give up everything, everything that you know for the sake of people's souls. Come with me and let's do some real living. You know, from the moment that Jesus arrived on planet Earth, what he's been doing for you and me, constantly talking to us about, is asking all sorts of people, not only career fishermen, but factory workers and hairstylists, people that work at Walmart, people that work at Marsh, teachers, accountants, doctors, landscapers, businesswomen, businessmen, unemployed folks, and all the rest of us, he's asking this one question. Are you going to throw your one and only life into catching small fish, or will you risk tossing the nets out in anticipation of landing human-sized ones? Are you going to spend your entire life pursuing small fish, or will you risk tossing out and anticipating the catching of human-sized ones? And today, Jesus wants to ask you, are you ready to go headlong into grander vision living? Or will you settle for a lesser one? What kind of living do you want? A grander living or a lesser one? Now, the question then becomes, how do I live a grander life? If I want to jump into this, how do I do it? Well, first of all, you do this. You make people the priority. You make people the priority. Now, for a lot of us, that scares us. Because people bring us our greatest joy, and what else? They bring us our greatest disappointment. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I think my life would be a lot better if there weren't people around, you know? But that's not grander vision living, that's lesser vision living. Because when it comes right down to it, life is all about people. People matter to God, and so people have to matter to us. In Grander Vision Living, it's always about people. And Jesus desires that we would prioritize people above everything else in our life. In fact, that's what this whole series has been about, folks, is people taking walks across rooms to put out a hand and to introduce yourself to some people. To care for people more than what you think about yourself. To kind of have this radical inclusiveness, this radical acceptance for people just like God has had for you. And people who are different from you, talk different than you, look different, who vote differently than you. And so Jesus asked anyone who wants to be a walk-across-the-room type of person, will you choose the grander vision in life, or will you settle for a lesser one? And friends, there are some big fish that await all of us. I don't mean big as in size, all right? I mean, there are some big people out there. But what I'm talking about is that there is a big catch of folks around us. So will you catch fish 
Or will you become fishers of men and women? Will you just kind of shine as a superstar in your own occupation and kind of go up the career ladder? Or will you let your light shine to everyone else in your life? You know, Jesus was kind of crystal clear on the path that he thought was the better path. Either the occupational success path or the path that was filled with light and significance when he said these words. You should be light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. You see, friends, your life is a light. And your light is either going to help people come into a relationship with God the Father and point them toward Him, or you'll keep your light to yourself and you'll deny all the people around you the opportunity of having a relationship with the one who knows them best and loves them most. But Jesus' greatest desire is this, that you would treat people, that you would respond to people, that you would embrace people, that you would prioritize people in such a way that they would experience God's love and that they would turn towards that way. Now, I've been amazed over the last four weeks. Many people have come up to me and they've told me about different walks that they've taken. How they've walked across the lunchroom at work or they walked across the street to introduce themselves to a neighbor, or they've walked across the restaurant to build a friendship with someone else. And I'd just like you to hear a moment of a story of one of those walks from Amy McCain and how she walked across a room. And she sent me an email this week. Hey, Chris. Over the past few weeks, I've had a nudge to call my children's school and speak with the woman in charge of lunch accounts. I was a little nervous about my call and how it would be perceived. The lady told me her name was Sharon, and so as I told Sharon, uh, the woman who oversees the lunch accounts, who I was, she indicated to me, don't worry, all of your, both of your kids have credits to their lunch accounts. And I interrupted her and said, well, that's exactly what I was calling about. You see, since my account is in such good standing and God has continued to bless my family during this difficult economic downturn, I wanted to provide a contribution for any other family or families who may be struggling right now. You can just take the money out of our accounts and give it to anyone who's in need. She said there was kind of a pause on the phone. And Sharon said, your timing is perfect. The teachers and the staff are taking a collection due to the fact that there are so many families that are struggling with their account. And then Sharon asked, but why would you do this? And then scared to death, she said, Amy, with all the guts that she had, Amy said, well, I go to a great church called the Jar that believes in doing small things of kindness. I'm able to help and I want to lift someone else's burden. If a family asks how the account was made right, don't tell them it was from the Jar. Just tell them that there are some people in this community who really care. And Sharon kind of flabbergasted on the phone and said, Well, thank you for your giving heart. 
And then Amy says this, Chris, my hope is that I just planted a seed. That maybe Sharon would see people who follow Jesus in a different way. And oh, by the way, it was a relief that it didn't seem so weird on the other end of the phone. I was really scared. But I feel good and I can't wait to take my next walk. Now, I love that story. Don't you love that story? A story of someone who just feels some nudge to invest in someone else. And what Amy found out was she didn't have to be a super, uh, you know, spiritual superstar. She didn't even have to necessarily walk across the room. She just picked up a phone and tried to share God's love in a practical way. And I want you to realize this this morning. You don't have to be any more talented, any richer, any slimmer, any smarter, any more or less of anything to partner with God. You just simply say, God, all right, I feel this nudge. I'm ready to partner. And he will open up doors for you to speak into people's lives. Because when Jesus says, let your light so shine for others, he's not talking about your spouse's light. Good, that's good for them. Let their light shine. He's not talking about your parents' light. Boy, they, they let their light shine. He's not talking about your pastor's light. Well, it's his job. He should have a light shining. Or your small group leader's light. Or your Christian friend's light. No, he says your light should shine. Meaning each one of us has a role to play. And I was just thinking about it this week. There are people around you and people in your life that God has called just you to reach out to. No one else. Not Billy Graham, not Bill Hybels, no one else. And if their lives are touched by God's love in some way, it'll be because of you. Friends, grander vision living means accepting people, getting to know people, caring for people, serving people, listening to people, embracing people, befriending people, prioritizing people above anything else. And once you experience that type of lifestyle, I'm telling you, you'll never want to go back to anything other than it. Simple as that. Well, here's the second way that you lived out this kind of grander life. And it's you see potential in people. Not only do you make them a priority, but you see potential in people. You know, in the Bible, the, the parts that kind of encourage me the most are the parts that talk about the first 12 people that Jesus chose. His first disciples, his first followers, his first kind of friends that he chose. Because if you read the Bible, what you find out is who he didn't choose. I mean, here he is getting ready to choose people to carry his message, the greatest message that the world has ever known, to the corners of the world, and the people that he chooses... We're not kind of, you know, A-caliber folks. They weren't religious leaders. They weren't spiritual superstars. Jesus didn't pick the best looking. He didn't pick the most talented, the best educated, or the most likely to succeed. None of them would have been in the yearbook, you know, most likely to succeed, Simon Peter. No, he would have been the guy in the, you know, the bottom, had a cigarette and got caught, you know, in the... In the uh, in the bathroom. 
And that's what Jesus did. He just chose 12 ordinary, sinful, insecure type of people just like you and me. And He first chose these four smelly fishermen, which we talked about in the first Scripture. And I mean by anyone's standards, folks, these people should not have been chosen. I mean, these were not the type of people to be the number one folks to reach out and to share the message of the one and only Son of God. But Jesus saw that these guys, what they could be like once they caught a hold of this grander vision living. He saw their potential when no one else did. He kind of looked past their self-centeredness and he saw the potential of being servants. He kind of looked past their self uh, kind of righteousness and rebelliousness and he saw the fact that they could do right. They could be right. They could be his hands and feet. And they looked past their quick temper and he saw people that could build their kingdom. And you know what? Jesus has done the same thing with you and me. He's looking beyond our faults and he sees potential in us. You know, last week we talked about sharing our story. That not only do we need to know how to tell God's story, but we need to know how to tell our own story. And our before story, our story before we came into a relationship with God, or before we fully realized it as an adult, was a pretty ugly story for most of us. And what happened was, Jesus had to look beyond all the ugly, and He said, I see potential. And He did. And if you're here for the first time, He will accept anyone based upon their potential and not their reality. That's why I believe in Christianity more than any other world religion, because it's about a God who chooses to base His life on people's potential and not what reality is. There isn't kind of this moral code that you have to go up, but Jesus came down to us. And He said, I see potential. Let me tell you about the potential He saw in me. You see, for most of my life, I have struggled with anger. I remember as a little kid, whenever I didn't get my way, I would get mad and upset and throw things and yell at my parents and I'd run out of the house and I would be gone for like hours. Now, it's different than today. You know, if your kids were gone for hours now, you'd call the cops. My parents were like, relief. He's gone, you know. There were creeks, there were woods, there was traffic everywhere. I mean, I could have been killed and they're like, relief, you know. And uh, junior high and high school didn't get much better. And then I got to college and I started uh, drinking quite a bit. And uh, when that happened, then not only did I find I would get angry and mad, but then I'd drive a car in dumb ways. And uh, I would pick fights with people. In fact, John Goble, who some of you know, who oversees our small group ministry stuff, who does a great job with that. I remember my anger got the best of me one time and tried to get in a fight with him. And then I got married and I became a pastor. And you would have thought at that point, well, he's a pastor now. I mean, the anger should be in order. He should be good to go. But I wasn't. 
There were several times in those first years of marriage in which I would break things or throw things or run out of the house. And there were dozens of times, I hate to admit it, but I would, uh, you know, bring my wife to tears because of the angry words that I would say. I mean, from the inside out, from the outside looking in, I was anything but the guy who should start a church in Muncie, Indiana, and be a part of something that has changed hundreds of people's lives. But you know what? God kind of saw past the anger issues, and He saw potential in somebody who could do something for Him. And through years of prayer and counseling and accountability of other people in my life, I've learned how to manage my anger. Am I 100% all the time? Absolutely not. But there aren't those throwing episodes, this kind of out of control stuff anymore by the grace of God. Now that's just one example of my life. I can tell you dozens of things, okay? Where God looked at me and from the outside you would say, man, no way. That guy could never do anything great for God. But God just kind of saw beyond the potential. Or beyond the problem, he saw potential. And I have the feeling that's the story for every single person here. God just kind of saw beyond where you were, and he saw potential in you. Folks, everybody has something that needs some sharpening and refining in their life. I mean, every single person that you choose to walk across the room with, they need God's perspective, right, to, to have a relationship with Jesus. But it's not going to happen overnight. We are all works in progress. And let God do God's job. And don't you be kind of the uh, lifestyle referee. Technical foul? You're drinking a little much, bud. I don't like the way you're, uh, you know, taking care of your kids. Technical. Bam. Bam. Because that's what the world thinks about Christians sometimes. Is that we're the lifestyle referees looking around people's lives and we're trying to find the places they don't add up. That's not your responsibility. You're to walk across rooms, to show love, to reach out, to tell truth. But in the ultimate sense, God takes care of that. You know, God saw... Potential in you in the middle of your flub-ups, mess-ups, and screw-ups. And just as he saw potential of you at that time, he wants you to see potential in other people. So how do you live this grander life? One, you make people the priority. And two, you see potential in all people. Now the question becomes, what's some practical things we could do then? If we buy into this kind of grander vision living What can I do to begin this type of lifestyle? Well, first of all, you need to start small, but start. Start small, but start. For some of you, it may just be walking across rooms. I was talking to uh, some folks that are more introverted. They're like, man, it took everything I had just to walk across the room. That's fine. 
But whatever it takes, start with something. I mean, if you want a grander life, you have to make people a priority and then see potential in them. Then you have to start taking some walks. I was, uh, it was amazed. We were in small group a couple weeks ago, and uh, a guy, uh, the question was asked, well, what do you do to, you know, kind of reach out to people? And everyone was like deafening silent. Like, what are you supposed to do? You know, it's one of those moments where you're thinking, hey, this isn't rocket science, folks. And finally, the guy just said, well, you got to talk to people, you know. And that's right. You have to talk. You have to act like you actually like people, and you prioritize in their life. You just leave your circle of comfort. You walk across an office or the street or whatever, and you develop a friendship with people who are disconnected from Christ in the church. And you don't have to know a whole bunch of the Bible. You don't have to know the sinner's prayer. You don't have to preach or convert them. I'm just talking about developing friendships with people and then pointing them towards God. That's grander vision living. This past week I received a letter from a couple in our church who shared how they're kind of pursuing this grander vision living. I thought I'd share it with you. They wrote, Hey, Chris, hope your week is going well. We just wanted to share a story of how God has prompted us to walk across rooms. We're expecting our first child, and so we're taking a birthing class at the hospital. We walked across the room of the class, and we started building a friendship with a couple who had some common interests like us. They aren't connected with Christ or the church, and so we have started building a friendship with them. And we hope... That one day our sons can hang out and grow up together as friends. It may not be much, but it's a start for us. Thanks for listening to our story. Folks, this, I've done this before. You go to this birthing class, everyone's kind of, you know, feeling out of place. Luckily, my wife's a doctor, but I don't know any of these parts and things going out and what you're supposed to do and count to ten and... You know, hallelujah, and you know, I don't know how to do all that. And so you get to these classes, and I'll tell you, the safest place is just right there with your spouse or the person that's carrying your child. You just stay with them. And this couple said, no, we're going to make people the priority. We're going to see potential in them. We're going to reach out, and we're going to connect with other folks. I mean, this was a great start. You know, they said it was a small start. This is a great start. Who knows what kind of impact? that they might have with that couple. So I just want to ask you, what are a couple of things you could do to make your life kind of grander living thinking? In your program, there's a couple of things you could write down right now. We'll give you a couple of minutes, but what are a couple of things? Some of you have been praying for people, and uh, now it's like, you know, the next step. What are you going to do? What's your next to-do thing? Is it taking a person out to lunch? Or if you don't have the money, say, hey, let's go Dutch. You know? If you're a guy, though, don't do that. It'll freak them out, you know. Let's go on a Dutch date. They'll be like, whoa, what are you talking about? You know? But just go. Maybe it's offering to watch your neighborhood, uh, you know, your neighbor's kids for a couple hours. Say, hey, anytime this week you need to go to the grocery store, we'll watch your kids for a couple hours. 
Just remind them that at two hours they get kicked out of your house, you know. Maybe it's walking across the office and inviting someone to come to church on Easter. Just say, hey, you know, uh, every good red-blooded American, you know, goes to church on Christmas and Easter. Wondered if you would go, you know. So why don't you take a couple minutes. I don't know what your next step is. I know what mine is. Just write it down for a second, okay? It's in your program. You can just write it down. And you can just tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to do this before Easter. Just one thing, maybe a couple, but just at least one that you're going to do before Easter. For me, I go to Subway almost uh, every single day. If I would have been Jared, man, we'd already had a huge building, you know what I mean? (laughs) But you're stuck in a gym for a few more years, all right? But... um, I just went to Subway one day. I said, God, you want to open up any door? Go ahead. And I went to the drive-up window, and there was uh, Rachel. She was a girl that lived down the street, was a neighbor of mine. She was in high school, and now she's in, uh, you know, she's out of high school, and I just saw her. And I, every, I even go through the drive-thru. I don't go because she doesn't work, you know, the inside deal. So I go through the drive-thru every time. And my goal before... Uh, you know, Easter is I'm going to invite her to come to Easter. I've given her some popcorn and some candy and, you know, say, hey, yo me. You know, no, I'm joking. I'm joking, okay? <clears throat> but just to, just to invite her. I don't know what your next step is. Another practical thing you could do, though, is in this grander lifestyle, you could throw a party. Some of you are going, man, this is what I've been waiting for. Throw a party. One of Jesus' disciples, one of the people he saw potential in, was a guy by the name of Matthew. One day, Jesus is walking down a road, and uh, there was this guy named Matthew. He's sitting at a tax collection booth. In other words, he's an IRS agent. And no one likes IRS agents, right? I was audited two years ago, um, and it wasn't fun. But, uh, you know, he's, he walks by and he just says, hey, Matthew, follow me. And all of Matthew's tax collecting buddies, all the other IRS agents are like, there's no way. No way Matthew's going to leave his household, going to leave this successful business, going to leave all this money and do this. But they're wrong. In an instant, Matthew kind of leaves the cash register drawer open. He walks away and he starts following Jesus. And by the time evening came, he, was, he had bought in hook, line, and sinker into the whole idea of grander vision living. And after he's met Jesus and the disciples and he's hanging out, he goes, you know what, i got a great idea. We need to throw a party. And Jesus is like, that's a good idea. But he said, this is the kind of party I want to throw. I want to invite all of my tax-collecting, cheating friends and then the rest of you who are, you know, kind of following this Jesus guy and let's get them all together. And uh, let's just see if some good stuff could happen if they rub shoulders together. And Matthew thought, 
What if instead of us just hanging out together as a new disciple and just being with you, what if I invited all my friends from all walks of life to come and some of my old buddies and new buddies started getting to know each other? What if a couple of interesting conversations got started and they started telling about, oh man, we remember Matthew, that one party he was at. Woo! And what if some seeds were planted into the hearts of my friends? And man, what if some of them actually came to faith just because we threw a party? Wouldn't that be amazing? You see, Matthew chose to see potential in his tax-collecting friends because Jesus had seen potential in him. I mean, who would have ever thought that Matthew would have ever been the one chosen to share God's message with the rest of the world. He was a cheater and a swindler in the Roman government. And you might say, well, Matthew just had the right view of the role of his life, that he was going to live with his friends, let them know he doesn't have his act together, but there's one that he's trying to follow, and the biggest hope was that he knew that he had a hope of heaven. And single-handedly, that kind of compelled him for the rest of his life. Matthew had a purpose of being light to the people around him, his friends, and he lived this grander vision, a vision that made people the priority and saw potential in all folks. And his purpose was simply to walk across rooms, no matter where they were, because he knew that people were the only thing that he could take to heaven. And the same holds true for you and I. Okay, let's pull out our glasses. One last slide. Anybody read that? Don't put them on yet. Don't put them on. Look at you, cheaters. Anybody read that? Okay, you can't. Now put your glasses on. Look at the red one, okay? Not the blue one. Look at the red. What's it say? Temporary. You know, there's something that we all need to know, folks. And it's this. That our house, no matter how great your house is, is what? Temporary. And your TV, no matter how great it is, and I know this is small compared to some of you, But what is it? And your car, no no matter how great you think it is, is what? Temporary. And your sound system, no matter how great it is, is what? Jeremy Slavin's our drummer. Guess what about your drums, Jeremy? Temporary. Uh Uh-oh, got some guitars back here. I'm going to put one right in the middle for Pellerin. Temporary. Okay? And uh, Joe, get your wallet out here just for a second, okay? (laughs) I'll be back. Anybody got a wallet up there? Go ahead, do it. Everybody see this time back here? What time does it say? Time to go home, right? 
Your time here on earth is what? Temporary. Your computer? Temporary. Okay? How about your chair, your furniture, your lazy boy that you love so much? Let's put it right there. What? Temporary. Joe, you got your wallet out yet? All right. Who's got a wallet up here? Come on. You'll still be here until... Just pull something out. Some, if it's your first time, I'm scared. Because <laughs> we just told you we're not... But your money? There you go. I'll give it back to you. All right. And your 401k and your investments and anything else that you want that you can think of in life is what? It's temporary. And if you live your life, folks... For these things, you are living a temporary life. Temporary satisfaction, temporary fulfillment, temporary pleasure. Folks, there's only one thing in life that's not temporary. There's only one thing in life that you'll be able to take into the next life. You know what it is? People. Just look at the person beside you. Those are the folks and the folks that are around you that aren't temporary. And I've just decided for my life that it's better to invest everything, I, everything that I can in the lives of people. Not my land, not my home, not my bank account, not my titles or medals or achievements. Friends, grander view living makes people the priority and then you see the potential in them and you invest in their life. So you can choose what kind of life you want to live. You can live a grander vision life that focuses on people or you can choose something less. But everything less, folks, is temporary. So this week, I just encourage you, invest in people. Start small, but start. Maybe you throw a party or two if you have to, to help people who are disconnected from God to get connected. And then this is my hope and prayer, that it may be said of the Jar Community Church that those are people who really will walk across rooms at any time, any place, in any situation to be the first one to develop friendship. And this week, I'd encourage you to put these glasses somewhere that you see regularly. So either on, you know, the refrigerator, because many of you will be there, or by the TV, or by the restroom, because you'll be there. And just remind yourself what type of living God wants you to have. Let's stand for closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, we uh, thank you 
that you allowed your one and only son to cross the cosmos to have a relationship with us. To build a friendship with us, not only here on earth, God, but one day when we meet you face to face in heaven. God, would you help us to live a grander vision? To make people the priority in our lives and to see potential in them when the rest of the world doesn't? Help us as a church, God, never to forget this series. May we truly be people who walk across rooms that are the first ones to reach out to someone who's alone or standing by themselves or who is just different. To extend a hand of friendship and to show your love. And God, would you open doors of conversations this week for us that we would build friendship with people. And God, that we would take walks. Not for ourselves, not for the jar, not for a bigger church, but we would take walks for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. You can finish your reading this week, chapter 7, 8, and 9. And uh, you'll be done. And uh, have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up.